And welcome, everybody. I'm Galen Clavio, and this is the inaugural episode of the NIL Hotline, our new podcast that we are debuting today, focusing on all of the issues related to name, image, and likeness in the college athletics space. I'm joined on this inaugural episode by Olivia Clavio, my sister, uh, an expert on certain aspects of uh, this stuff in her own right. We're going to be trying to bring to you folks news, information, uh, opinions, analysis, interviews with people in and around name, image, and likeness, uh, because this is only going to get more important as we move into the summer and then the upcoming fall seasons for college sports. Olivia, I don't know that we've ever actually done a podcast together before, so it's good to have you on. How are you doing? Thanks. We haven't. Um, I've done other podcasts, just not with you. <laughs> and I'm doing great. Really excited for this space. It is so fascinating, constantly changing every single day. And the more information that comes out, just the more interesting it gets. So really excited to be here and discuss this. One thing, though, that I do want to mention is that I am a lawyer, but all of the opinions on this podcast are my own. None of what I'm giving you is actually legal advice. So please do not take it as such. Most podcasts do live advertising reads. We do live legal disclaimer reads on this show. So we're already off to a great start for the NIL space. Uh, Olivia, let's start off by talking a little bit about what this is. For the uninitiated, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to get this podcast going is there haven't really been a lot of sustained podcasts that focus on NIL and cover it from all the different angles. And part of it is it's such a big area. It's not just IP and social media it's also you know fundraising and donations and collectives and in you know athletic departments without a whole lot of guidance other than don't do this or don't do that from the ncaa trying to find their way through a space that nobody really counted on five years ago uh you know when you think about nil from your perspective what are the things that come to mind immediately that are important that people who may not be that familiar with it should know right so Name, image, and likeness is all part of something called your right of publicity. It is a right that you have. It's your own privacy right. And it's the right to do what you want with your name, obviously, what you look like, how people perceive you. And the reason that this is such an interesting space is that we are asking, really, from the beginning, minors to enter into a right of publicity contract maybe before they even start school and throughout school. So we're dealing with younger people whom this may be their first entry into a legal contract. And so you have a layer of minors or just barely adults dealing with uh, adults in schools who are used to going through contracts, used to going through different kinds of deals. And so we're kind of seeing this explosion of what happens when we have these new contracts and these new basically celebrities right so we've always had college ath athletes that have been celebrities but they've never been able to monetize their name before they've never been able to monetize their likeness as long as they have a collegiate scholarship obviously we've had professional athletes that have gone straight from high school into the pros like you know kobe bryant who didn't have to deal with this so it's just a, it's an interesting space and i focus on the you said ip and so for people that don't know that's intellectual property 
And my intellectual property space here is dealing with basically the Federal Trade Commission and states and how they regulate advertising and specifically for NIL issues, how they regulate endorsements and testimonials, which is exactly what these NIL, NIL deals are yeah. focused on. And that's that's one big aspect of it. All those things you talked about, certainly very important, because as you mentioned, like a lot of times you're dealing with with 17 year olds who are technically still under the guardianship of their parents who are making legal decisions on their behalf. And certainly the way that NIL was originally pitched, uh, pitched might be the wrong word, but the way it was unveiled to people was that athletes could be paid for things that they couldn't be paid for before. And importantly, these are things that the average college student could be paid for. Like as an average college student who was not on an athletic scholarship, and this includes students who were on regular scholarships or academic scholarships, you could still monetize your name, image, and likeness. You could, uh, you know, if you were popular enough, you could you could have an, an autograph signing and you could make money off of that. Or you could be in a uh, you know in, in a, a commercial in a local business's commercials and you could get paid for that but not if you were an athlete there was a specific set aside in the standard um you know athletic scholarship contract that said no these things are reserved essentially for the athletic department so what you've got on that front is an interesting space that was supposed to develop at least in the minds of some people where oh you know an athlete comes in they can't have marks and logos from the university they can't sign contracts with companies that are in you know direct competition with official sponsors of the athletic department they have to basically act as independent entities but they can make money if they want to be you know appear in commercials or if they want to run a camp where they're teaching kids and they can make money off of that that kind of thing i don't think has a lot of people in a furor and and while we will talk about some of the interesting aspects of that uh, uh, you know part of nil including one that we'll talk about a little bit today involving international students that people aren't quite aware of what really has a lot of people up in arms and where i think we see the most interesting stuff in nil is that because of the lack of any sort of national regulation and due to a lot of states trying to make it as easy as possible for the colleges and universities that are pursuing athletes who are looking for nil deals what you're really seeing is situations where top level athletes whether they be recruits or transfers from other schools are able to make significant money in what are quote unquote nil deals but in reality they're, they're essentially um their compensation directly for being an athlete that could help the team win a game. And this is what you've heard a lot of athletic directors and a lot of schools and certainly the NCAA complaining a lot about because it is a marketplace that has essentially popped up out of the underground that existed for a long time, but now it's out in the open. And some people have some philosophical issues with it. And that's really driven a lot of the coverage and a lot of the talk and analysis that we've seen over the last 12 months. Yeah, agree. And for anybody who did not think that there was a full underground payment method for college athletes, you are completely wrong. It has been the number one thing that the NCAA has been trying to stop. And that was a lot of what their efforts were focused on was trying to stop boosters and trying to stop this underground payment of athletes. And so now what you're seeing are all of this bubble up to the surface 
and inherently bringing up all of the issues that, you know, previously everyone was trying to keep under wraps, right? Who's paying off who, who got unfair, quote unquote, unfair benefits. And, and in reality, it was because it was a viable market that needed to be released. Yeah. It needed to be released. Well, that's the thing. And, it's yeah. a lot of people are aghast at the money that we've seen in nil deals and, and you know it's always two lines of arguments like first well this isn't what nil was supposed to be and it's like well sorry uh you know and then the second but the second aspect is well you know this is just i hate the phrase pay for play i'm going to use it this one time and i'm never going to use it again on this podcast much like you will not hear me use the phrase student athlete uh, that's a that's a a loaded legal term that has a very dark history that we will talk about at some point later on on a future episode. I'm not going to use that phrase either, but you'll hear people say, "Oh, this is pay for play," and it's like, "Yes, welcome to what's been going on in college sports for decades, uh, and and, and it, particularly in sports where there's a significant market value attached to both the sport and the individual athlete," and so. To some degree, it's like I, I hear the complaints and I hear the concerns, but I'm also like, do you, would you prefer this being an underground market or would you prefer this being a market that everybody was aware of? I, you know, for me, I much prefer it being out in the open because it makes it a lot clearer what the lines of competition are. And that to me, I think, is one of the most fascinating things. And it's something we're going to come back to over and over again is this idea that what makes NIL unpalatable in its current format to a lot of college administrators and the NCAA and a lot of fans is that it looks very different from what they think college sports should be. And I'm going to, I'm putting the big scare quotes up here, but it's really just a more visible version of what college sports had been for a long period of time, except here. I athletes are actually, I think more capable and more able to market themselves and earn the value that they intrinsically have in the marketplace for the skills that they're bringing to the table, given the amount of money that exists in major college athletics. Agree. And I think, of course, one of the big issues and the argument that has been used since the dawn of the NCAA is that a college scholarship should be plenty of, quote unquote, hear my scary quotes, quote unquote, compensation for your athletic skills. But that is completely false because basically what had happened was the the states were allowing the violation of this this doctrine of you know right of publicity. They were allowing college athletes to basically suffer and not receive compensation for them being popular unless they moved on to the pros. And we all know that really pro sports really just benefits a few different sports. Um, it's not a, you know, a widespread, um, even compensation across the board. So what this has really done is allowed college athletes to take full advantage of that. And I really think that one of the other issues was they were, of course, afraid that the universities might lose money, which I always thought was completely opposite. I actually thought that they're going to gain more money from this because depending on how things build up, we're going to see, um, you, you know, different athletes now enter transfer portals. We're going to see more hype around games. We're going to see a more diverse um, exchange of, uh, you know, different conferences. So, I actually think in the long run, this is going to be 
just a really interesting area and it's just going to continue to uh to grow yeah it's it is, and look there's some arguments to the contrary and, and we're going to both talk about some of the arguments and, and bring on some people who might voice those arguments whether it's uh, so much of it really boils down to this idea that it's a different model and and you mentioned something in there the transfer portal which is a confounding factor with all of this that has added another layer uh, because, and again, it's one, it's one of these situations and, and I think it's, you know, one of the core tenets of this podcast that we will try to maintain is the reason NIL and the transfer portal makes sense both legally and morally is that it affords college athletes the same rights that the average college student has had since the dawn of time. And this yeah. is something that just fundamentally does not seem to sink in, certainly with administrators and coaches, but I think also with a lot of fans who have grown very accustomed to this almost paternalistic model of, well, if you're going to be an athlete, you have to make some sacrifices, you know, and, and you're, you're actually fortunate to be given this opportunity in the first place, which doesn't really jive with the current reality. I think there might have been a mildly compelling argument for that 30 years ago, but the sheer amount of money that is in college sports that you see, you know, coming in from television contracts that's being paid to coaches, that's being paid to, you know, strength and conditioning coaches who in some cases are making 500, 750,000, a million dollars a year, uh, assistant right. coaches, like all of those different aspects, there's so much money in college sports and much as we saw with baseball in the late 1960s, early 1970s, when the money continues to go up and the people actually playing the sport aren't getting a fair share of that money, that was where some of the problems start to come in. And I think it's important to keep in mind that this was not NIL, um, you know, to some degree, the transfer portal, although it's a little, little cloudier. These were not things that the NCAA membership decided out of the kindness of their heart. These are things that they were compelled to do by a series of legal cases, both active and future, that have really put them in a corner where they risk losing the entire business model if they don't make adaptations for the current financial situation. Right. And, and really, I think the big key to this is even 10 years ago, we did not see social media being used the way that it is for college athletes. They didn't really have a voice outside of their coach speaking for them or perhaps speaking in press conferences. There wasn't this direct access to fans and to the student body that they have now. And that I think played a big part in allowing this to grow because you cannot keep people from speaking and eventually how are they going to enforce, um, you know, do enforcement actions against athletes for things that they were saying, uh, potential uh, material connections that they may have had to a business? I mean, it would have been a nightmare, really, to track down from the legal side of things um, and the enforcement side of things. So really, I think, especially as social media continues to grow, especially with the influencer marketing, which is really what what these college athletes are doing. And I fully expect this to blossom into more than just influencer uh, agreements with college athletes. But this is just, you know, one way that we've seen it grow over the last five years and it will just continue to go that direction. Yeah. And there's all kinds of, of cool little things that we're going to talk about on the show. One quick one I wanted to mention that we saw uh, that I set you earlier on there was, first of all, there's a lot of great people that you can follow on social media 
whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter or, or, or Facebook that cover this area, whether it's Darren Heitner, uh, Mitt Winter, uh, there's several other people that cover this space. And I'm hoping to get some of them on the show at some point. But I uh, thought it was interesting. Pete uh, Nakos, I think it's Nakos. I, I'm apologizing, Pete, if I got your name wrong. Um, but he's the college sports business reporter at On3, uh, which is a great site. Andy Witchery, also an NIL expert. I'm hoping to have him on as a guest soon. Uh, but he noted that uh, Adama Sinogo, who, of course, plays basketball for UConn, the team that won the title this year on the men's side, partnered with Sunoco, the oil company, on an NIL deal. And this was kind of a confusing thing because Sunogo is not a U.S. citizen. He's born in Mali, and you know he's come over here to play college sports. And one of the things people don't quite understand is that there's a problem if you're on an international visa as a student in the United States, you're not allowed to have an outside job. And apparently what Sunoco did with Sunogo is they shot a commercial with him and it looks like it was shot at a tropical location. And, and there was a comment from Mitt Winter that this is what a lot of international athletes in the U.S. that can't have access to normal NIL deals are doing. They're going to the Bahamas or another close international spot to shoot things because by doing business there you're not subject to u.s uh laws in terms of labor and visas and and that allows for that kind of a deal to take place obviously a little bit of an expense to get him down there to the bahamas in the first place but this is the kind of thing that makes this area kind of fraught in terms of who can actually access it and what the rules are and how many different things impact it right and it's interesting because even though it's offshore the content of that message still has to follow U.S. law. So definitely kind of a combination of of creativity there, I will say, on the legal side of things to uh, get international players involved. But sure, of course, these these are issues that are going to pop up. I am sure that people are going to complain about this. Uh, We're going to see more regulation in this area because that is just what regulators do. They want to regulate it. And especially since we are in a 50 state uh, situation here, we're gonna see uh, inequity between the states, which is going to be really interesting if you know college athletes decide to switch to a state that has less regulation yeah. and more opportunity. So- But we've seen that- Keep up with. <laughs> we see that in other areas of the law. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like NBA players choosing to sign free agent contracts in Florida or Texas because there's no state income tax in those states and you know compared to California where it's like well there's there goes 15 percent of my paycheck uh so uh, again a lot of the things that we're used to seeing in other aspects of sports and and legality also apply here but there's several extra layers that are worth investigating and that's what we'll be doing on the podcast so be sure to hit the subscribe button this one's audio only but future episodes will be kind of alternating between just audio we'll also have video so there'll be a youtube channel involved that you can follow along with and i'm looking forward to it should be a lot of fun the the goal here is to never have an episode that's over 25 minutes in length we want to try to keep these short uh and bite-sized so that you can listen to them and get on with your day and i know that's a huge shock to any of you who have listened to my other podcasts which can sometimes go like 90 to 120 minutes but I'm, i'm really trying to control myself and um we'll see how it goes anyway olivia any final thoughts before we wrap up no just very excited to speak in this space it's something that I've been watching very carefully. So happy to have people on and discuss as many different things as we possibly can. Absolutely. And thanks to all you folks who have tuned in already. We'll look forward to talking with you again 
the next time that we do it. For Olivia, I'm Galen. This is the NIL Hotline. We'll catch you folks on the flip side. So long, everybody.